I'm Carla Jones, Senior Director of Federalism, Homeland Security, and International Relations here at ALEC. And I have with me in the studio today, Gabriella Beaumont-Smith of the Cato Institute. Gabriella is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute's Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies, and her research focuses on the economics of U.S. trade policy with specialties in tariffs, trade remedies, and subsidies. Gabriella was previously a senior policy analyst in trade and macroeconomics at the Heritage Foundation, and she holds a master's degree in economics from George Mason University. And we're thrilled that she's here to talk with us today in honor of Women's History Month about the baby formula crisis. Welcome, Gabriella. Thank you for having me, Carla. Thank you for being here. Um, I know the baby formula shortage crisis dominated the headlines a lot last year. However, for people that may not be familiar with it, could you provide us with an overview? Yeah, absolutely. So back in February of 2022, uh, there was a significant supply shock caused by the shutdown of the largest U.S. baby formula manufacturer called Abbott Nutrition. And they also had to nationally recall their products after traces of a deadly bacteria was found in their one of their factories that led to or potentially led to the deaths of two infants. Um, because there are only three U.S. manufacturers of infant formula, the other two producers in the U.S. could not make up for the production that was lost by Abbott. You know, they were taking formula off of shelves, but then their factory was also offline and their supply simply couldn't be replenished. And because of myriad trade barriers, regulatory barriers, and a welfare program, it was impossible for retailers to turn to other sources to get formula on the shelves. And ultimately, that led to a very stressful, almost year-long crisis. Even though this issue hasn't been in the news much lately, you recently wrote in the Wall Street Journal that it's still difficult for American mothers to find appropriate nutrition for their infants and children. Is that still the case, that American mothers are still finding it hard to get baby formula? So in some cases, you know, it varies by state. There are problems with parents finding formula in stores. Um, I know that just two weeks ago, there were reports in New Jersey of parents not being able to find formula in stores. Um, and even if you go onto Twitter, you'll see parents posting empty store shelves everywhere. That doesn't necessarily mean there isn't enough formula available in the U.S. There is some related, you know, overflow from pandemic policies that have prevented formula from getting from warehouses to stores, you know, like not having enough truck drivers to actually drive the formula to the retailers. Um, so it's a distributional problem. But there certainly is remaining fallout from the crisis. And the broader point is that 
this is America, you know, the land of abundance and freedom. And you should be able to walk into a store and buy something that you need, uh, particularly a necessity like baby formula. Um, and the real problem is that this crisis was exacerbated by government regulation. So the point is that the government has made it difficult for Americans to be able to walk into a store and buy baby formula in response to a crisis. So even though it's varied among states, some are doing fine and some are not, that's completely unacceptable. I agree completely with you. And a lot of people aren't familiar with the international trade aspect of this crisis, and that's where you truly <laughs> are an expert, Gabriella. We're fortunate to have you with us today. Thank you. Um, now, the data shows that the baby formula supply is adequate. So why isn't it making it to the stores? Does it relate somehow to tariffs on formula imports? And how do tariffs and taxes affect American families? Yeah, absolutely. There are extremely high tariffs on imported baby formula. Uh, the Congressional Research Service estimates that over 80% of U.S. formula imports are subject to tariffs over 25%. So that's a, basically a sales tax on baby formula imported from abroad for absolutely no reason because baby formula is a necessity and we should not be taxing it. Obviously, that has the greatest implications for those in the lowest income thresholds because that's going to affect them the most. Um, so having such high tariffs absolutely is a barrier for supplying the US market. But there are other non-tariff barriers that prevent companies from selling in the US market. There are extremely high taxes on imports of baby formula. The Congressional Research Service estimates that over 80% of US formula imports are subject to tariffs of over 25%. And that affects those in the lowest income thresholds the most because they have much less money to be spending on taxes um, and baby formula is a necessity. So we shouldn't be taxing it, period. And the fact that we're taxing foreign formula so highly is immoral. Um, retailers may be swayed from importing baby formula because of these high tariffs. They might think that their customers will not pay those high taxes. And so therefore, they do not want to look to those sources. However, given that baby formula is a necessity, generally in economic theory, um, something like a necessity is more easy to tax because people will pay it. And so then retailers could technically pass on the full amount of the tax or at least share the amount of the tax with consumers. So again, automatically, we're making imported baby formula more expensive and there's no good reason for that. Um, however, there are other non-tariff barriers that really make it very difficult for 
retailers to import formula. And one of those is that in order for CVS or Walgreens to um, put a new brand of infant formula on their shelves, they have to notify the Food and Drug Administration of this new brand um, within three months of selling it. And obviously, in a crisis, you don't have three months to Mm -hmm. wait to market a new formula. You've got tariffs as one barrier. Then you have the non-tariff trade barriers as another. Now, let's say I'm a mother um, of unlimited means. I wouldn't worry about buying formula from countries like Germany, places like the EU, places like Canada. Um, They've got more regs than the United States does on just about everything, and I'm guessing including baby formula. Can American parents buy from places like Germany and Canada? They can, but with much difficulty. Um, I'll talk about Europe first. So technically, before the crisis, before the government um, enacted some responses to the crisis, you could only buy imported formula from Europe if for personal use. Um, there were no companies that were approved by the FDA from Europe uh, that retailers could sell. Um, and the reason is just because it's so difficult to get approved by the FDA to sell in the US market. You have to go through an extremely bureaucratic process as as a as a formula manufacturer. You have to provide the FDA with details of the development of the formula, samples. They need to come inspect your facilities. They will come and take samples themselves. You have to provide all of the nutritional information. Um, and it takes a very long time and a lot of money to go through this process. Before the crisis, there was one new manufacturer in the US market since 2007, and it took them five years and $190 million to get approved by the FDA to sell in the US market. So that's why it's easier for parents to just go online and buy from third parties, retailers uh, to import for personal use. Um, But when they do that, they had to pay the tariff. So automatically it was more expensive. Um, And also the FDA maintains what is called a red list and they will put specific brands or products or companies uh, on that list if they've been found to violate even something as minor as labeling. So with formula, for example, imported from Europe, there are a few German and Dutch brands on this list because they didn't have the canister labeled in English. Now, that does sound bad. You know, you're importing a product and then you pick it up and you can't read it. But These parents are buying from these websites where everything is translated into English and they have all of the information on the website. So when they get the formula, even if the canister is not in English, they very easily can go online and get all of the information that they need so that they are safely nourishing their children. Um, 
Canada is an extremely interesting and egregious example. So big dairy actually during the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement negotiations that replaced NAFTA uh, had provisions or lobbied for provisions to be added to the agreement to protect the U.S. market from imports of formula from Canada. So in the USMCA, there are provisions that put an export tax on the over-quota amount of formula exported from Canada globally. So not just to the not just exported from Canada to the US, but to the world. And so given the quota is a global quota, it immediately becomes quite small. And so the US didn't import any uh, formula from Canada for years. Um, and I think it imported a very small amount during the crisis. Um, and I did actually do the math because the export quota was $4.25 or four Canadian dollars and 25 cents per kilogram. You know, what does that mean? Um, essentially, what it equals is that there is a $3 tax per day supply of baby formula if the U.S. was to import from Canada. And that $3 tax could mean the difference between a parent who is financially strapped being able to afford adequate nutrition for his or her child and not being able to afford it. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. And I, I seem to remember you're telling me once that three companies have a 98% share of the market in the U.S. on formula. And truthfully, as somebody who works for an organization with limited government and free markets as guiding principles, that is exceedingly troubling. Why is that? And what policy need, changes need to take place in order to address this problem? So the FDA process is a significant barrier to new market entrants. The process I described with needing to apply to the FDA and provide information on clinical trials and you know, the development of the formula and whatnot. That's a barrier not just to foreign entrance, that's a barrier to domestic entrance too. Um, the FDA doesn't discriminate between whether a company is foreign or uh, domestic in, in that process. So that right there is a problem to, that needs to be dealt with so that it's just easier to get approval from the FDA. Now, I understand health and safety standards, particularly when we're talking about our children, are vital, but the U.S., regulates baby formula more strictly than any other food product, even more strictly than formula for toddlers. So there is definitely some leeway with how to maintain quality, but also streamline this process so that we can see more competition in the marketplace. The other area where there is 
cause for concern when it comes to market concentration is a welfare program called the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. And that program basically is a USDA program, a welfare program that is administered by the states. So these companies that I've talked about, Abbott, uh, Mead Johnson, and Nestle, they bid for contracts in the states so that they can be the sole provider of formula in that state. So when people on this welfare program go to the store, they can only use their benefits for the company that won the state contract. And obviously, that's creating a state monopoly, which is putting up huge barriers to competition. And what has Congress done so far to alleviate this problem? And is there anything that state lawmakers who truthfully are our main audience, is there anything that they can be doing now that they're not doing yet? So Congress started to take action in the summer of last year. So the the crisis began you know, sort of around February, got really bad in June. And then in July, Congress started taking action. And the first thing that Congress did was remove tariffs on most imports of baby formula, which was great and was massively successful at increasing imports to um, to supply parents. Um, what else, they also removed tariffs on the base powder of infant formula so that it was easier for the domestic manufacturers to even find the, you know, the dry milk to try and ramp up production to kind of hit it from both sides. Let's import more so we have a greater supply in the U.S. of finished baby formula, but let's also help our manufacturers out by reducing the cost of the inputs when they are making the formula. Um, another thing that uh, Congress did was provide the um, Secretary of Health and Human Services with the authority to streamline the importation process for the um, for infant formula. So basically what they did is they made it easier for foreign companies to get approved in the US um, to sell formula. So that process that I described that normally would take very long and um, re- required a lot of money from manufacturers to be approved in, the FDA streamlined that process. So they ended up approving nine new manufacturers to sell in the US without needing to meet those, all of those regulations. They did have to provide certifications that they do sell safe formula, but um, they didn't have to meet every single rule that normally would. And then on by January 6th of this year, some of those companies had to tell the FDA whether they wanted to continue selling in the US now that the crisis has abated. Uh, not it's not uh, it's you know it's there's still as we talked about some problems, but it's generally mm-hmm. much better. Um, and so those companies 
um, I think I think nine out of ten that were approved are staying in the U.S. market, um, and they have to comply with all of the regulations that the FDA has by October of 2025. So they have some time to do that, um, which also significantly helped alleviate the, the crisis because we have more, more sources and uh, of formula, which was especially <clears throat> necessary for specialty formulas. Um, because that's one of the other problems with baby formula as a product to be to have a shortage in is that babies are picky and parents are not you know able to easily substitute formula because if they if their baby doesn't like one but and that's not available in the store they can't really just pick up the next one and everything will be okay i mean obviously it's more important that their baby gets fed but you could have a whole host of other problems with your child at that point. And again, that's, that's really not the situation that we're looking for. So uh, unfortunately, however, the tariffs uh, suspension was temporary. So those tariffs are back. Um, So as of January 1st of this year, imports are again, subject to tariffs up to 25.1%. and so even though we have those new man- those nine new manufacturers selling in the US came, you know as January 1 came they immediately became more expensive and and now you're seeing actually a lot of reports from parents saying formula is it, you know stock levels are up but the prices are so high um you know i think i read i read on twitter someone said that Within the space of a week, formula prices had gone from eighteen dollars a canister to twenty-two dollars a canister, and oh. you know that's a four-dollar difference within one week is is a lot. Um, and and it's it's difficult and unnecessary. So for state legislators, I think it's vital to press members to make tariffs on on infant formula zero. Uh, repealing tariffs on infant formula, I think, is is a worthwhile cause, and and as much pressure that can be put on on members of Congress to to make those reforms permanent, um, I think, would be very helpful. That's definitely where state lawmakers can play a role in terms of put explaining to their congressional delegations the difficulty that their constituents are having. I mean, it doesn't do any good to have baby formula on the shelves that you can't afford. And then you're going to, that's going to lead to parents doing dangerous things like watering down infant formula. And yes, babies can be picky, but some of it has to do with food allergies and other sensitivities. And that's why certain babies require certain types of formula. And obviously, infant and children's safety is paramount. So from which countries would you feel confident importing baby formula? And what types of quality assurance processes do these countries have in place? 
just to reassure our parents? So there is a great recognition program that the U.S. already has with some countries on pharmaceuticals. So again, a, a product that you really need some quality assurances on. And so the U.S. recognizes the inspections of pharmaceuticals from the European Union, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. So basically, having a recognition of baby formula inspections from those countries would greatly streamline the process. And we already know that those regulatory authorities in those countries are competent and safe because we've already said that we can import pharmaceuticals from them. And so really the same would apply for baby formula. Um, at the moment, the U.S. doesn't necessarily scrutinize based on country for quality assurances. It's very much this brand, this specific brand or type of formula is scrutinized by the FDA through its regulatory process. So as long as it meets those standards, then it can be imported. But that process could be streamlined if there was a recognition. And, and there was already a tacit recognition of that anyway from the crisis, because those many of these companies, the nine manufacturers I mentioned, came from the European Union, United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand. So we've already admitted that those are safe places to import formula from. So to essentially put those barriers back up to prevent imports uh, of baby formula is not, there's not very much good reason for that. And so making something more permanent like a recognition agreement in the future would be very effective for not only providing more formula in the market to ensure that there is resiliency if there's a crisis, um, but also just to simply inject more competition into this, into this very concentrated industry. Ultimately, those barriers make our infants and children less safe than safe. Um, Gabriella, is there anything else you'd like to share with our viewers today? Yeah, so I think that just to go back a little bit and talk um, more about the WIC program that I mentioned. Um, so because of the, you know, the WIC program essentially pushes concentration in, in this industry. By having these state monopolies, there isn't much of an incentive for new market entrants because you have to have a lot of capital and resources to navigate the regulatory process of the, uh, of, of the FDA, but also mm -hmm. of the WIC program itself. And so that's why the three companies I mentioned hold the WIC contracts and Abbott, no surprise, being the largest, uh, holds the most WIC contracts. And this was particularly um, important to note during the crisis because when Abbott went offline and had to pull the um, formula off the shelves, WIC recipients didn't couldn't use their benefits. And so that was wasted welfare. They had to pay out of pocket. 
Now, Congress did provide the USDA with um, the authority to amend rules to the WIC program. So eventually WIC recipients were able to use their benefits on any formula that was available in store. So that did include imported formula. If it was on the shelf, they could use their benefits. And that was great um, and very effective. However, that program is also going to expire in June. And another thing to note about WIC is that you can only use it in store. So if you're one of those people that's going to the store and you're facing empty shelves, you're unable to use your WIC benefits. And that's also problematic. So some states are um, in pilot programs at the moment so that WIC benefits can be used online, similar to how some SNAP benefits can be used online. So I think that's another area where state legislatures can consider is pilot programs for using WIC benefits online so that should there ever be a crisis like this again, hopefully not, um, at least those WIC recipients can use their benefits online. Thank you so much for sharing that last portion about WIC with us, Gabriella. And thank you also for just taking the time to record this video with us in honor of Women's History Month. I can think of few things that keep mothers awake at night, both literally and figuratively, than figuring out how to feed their babies. You're an incredibly articulate voice on this, and you're a great resource to Alex. So thank you, Gabriella, for being with us today. And I'm sure our viewers learned a lot today. And I'd also like to thank thank you, our viewers as well. 